The Throne of Fire, Chapter 9. We get a vertically challenged tour of Russia. As usual, Sadie left out some important details, like how Walt and I nearly killed ourselves trying to find her. It wasn't fun, flying to the Brooklyn Museum. We had to hang from a rope under the griffin's belly like a couple of Tarzans, dodging police, emergency workers, city officials, and several old ladies who chased after us with umbrellas screaming, There's the hummingbird! Kill it! Once we managed to open a portal, I wanted to take Freak through with us, but the gate of swirling sand kind of, well, freaked him out, so we had to leave him behind. When we got to London, television monitors in the storefronts were showing footage of Waterloo Station. Something about a strange disturbance inside the terminal with escaped animals and windstorms. Gee, wonder who that could have been. We used Walt's amulet for Shu, the air god, to summon a burst of wind and jump to Waterloo Bridge. Of course, we landed right in the middle of a heavily armed riot squad. Just luck that I remembered the sleep spell. Then finally, we were ready to charge in and save Sadie, and she rides up in a limousine driven by an ugly dwarf in a swimsuit, and she accuses us of being late. So when she told us the dwarf was driving us to Russia, I was like, whatever, and I got in the car. The limousine drove through Westminster while Sadie, Walt, and I traded stories. After hearing what Sadie had been through, I didn't feel so bad about my day. A dream of Apophis and a three-headed snake in the training room didn't seem nearly as scary as God's taking over our grandparents. I'd never liked Grant and Gramps that much, but still, yikes. I also couldn't believe our chauffeur was Bess. Dan and I used to laugh about his pictures in museums, his bulging eyes, wagging tongue, and general lack of clothing. Supposedly, he could scare away almost anything. Spirits, demons, even other gods, which is why the Egyptian commoners had loved him. Bess looked out for the little guy, um, which wasn't meant as a dwarf joke. In the flesh, he looked exactly like his pictures, only in full color, with full smell. We owe you, I told him. So you're a friend of Bast's? His ears turned red. Yeah, sure. She asked me for a favor once in a while. I'd try to help out. I got the feeling there was some history there he didn't want to get into. When Horace spoke to me, I said, he warned that some of the gods might try to stop us from waking Ra. Now I guess we know who. Sadie exhaled. If they didn't... Like our plan, an angry text message would have done. Nakmet and Babby almost tore me apart. Her face was a little green. Her combat boots were splattered with shampoo and mud, and her favorite leather jacket had a stain on the shoulder that looked suspiciously like vulture poop. Still, I was impressed that she was conscious. Potions are hard to make and even harder to use. There's always a price for channeling that much magic. You did great, I told her. Sadie looked resentfully at the black knife in her lap, the ceremonial blade Anubis had given her. I'd be dead if not for Bess. 
Nah, Beth said. Well, okay, you probably would be. But you would have gone down in style. Sadie turned the strange black knife as if she might find instructions written on it. It's a netjiri, I said. A serpent blade. Priests use it for the opening of the mouth ceremony, she said. But how does that help? Don't know, I admitted. Best? Death rituals. I try to avoid them. I looked at Walt. Magic's, magic items were his specialty, but he didn't seem to be paying attention. Ever since Sadie had told us about her talk with Anubis, Walt had been awfully quiet. He sat next to her, fidgeting with his rings. You okay? I asked. Yeah, just thinking. He glanced at Sadie. About Netjiri blades, I mean. Sadie tugged at her hair like she was trying to make a curtain between her and Walt. The tension between them was so thick, I doubted even a magic knife could cut through it. Bloody Anubis, she muttered. I could have died for all he cared. We drove in silence for a while after that. Finally, Bess turned on Westminster Bridge and doubled back over the Thames. Sadie frowned. Where are we going? We need a portal. All the best artifacts are at the British Museum. Yeah, Bess said. And the other magicians know that. Other magicians? I asked. Kid, the House of Life has branches all over the world. London is the ninth gnome. Well, that's Thunton Waterloo. Miss Sadie just sent up a big red flare telling Desjardins' followers, Here I am. You can bet they're going to be hunting you now. They'll be covering the museum in case you make a run for it. Fortunately, I know a different place we can open a portal. Schooled by a dwarf. It should have occurred to me that London had other magicians. The House of Life was everywhere. Out the, outside the security of Brooklyn House, there wasn't a single continent where we'd be safe. We rode through South London. The scene along Camberwell Road was almost as depressing as my thoughts. Rows of grubby brick apartments and low-rent shops lined the street. An old woman scowled at us from a bus stop. In the doorway of an Asda grocery store, a couple of young tough guys eyed the Mercedes as if they wanted to steal it. I wondered if they were gods or magicians in disguise because most people didn't notice the car. I couldn't imagine where Bess was taking us. It didn't seem like the kind of neighborhood where you'd find a lot of Egyptian artifacts. Finally, a big park opened up on our left. Misty green fields tree-lined paths, and a few ruined walls like aqueducts covered in vines. The land sloped upward to a hilltop with a radio tower. Bess jumped the curb and drove straight over the grass, knocking down a sign that read, Keep to the path. The evening was gray and rainy, so there weren't many people around. A couple of joggers on the nearby path didn't even look at us as if they saw Mercedes limo four-wheeling across the park every day. Where are we going? I asked. Watch and learn, kid, Bass said. Being called kid by a guy shorter than me was a little annoying, but I kept my mouth shut. Bass drove straight up the hill. 
close to the top was stone staircase, maybe 30 feet wide, built into the hillside. It seemed to lead nowhere. Bess slammed on the brakes and we swerved to a stop. The hill was higher than I realized. Spread out below us was the whole of London. Then I looked more closely at the staircase. Two sphinxes made of weathered stone lay on either side of the stairs, watching over the city. Each one was about ten feet long, with a typical lion's body and pharaoh's head, but they seemed totally out of place in the London park. Those aren't real, I said. Bess snorted. Of course they're real. I mean, they aren't from ancient Egypt. They're not old enough. Picky, picky, Bess said. These are the stairs to the Crystal Palace. Big glass and steel exhibit hall the size of a cathedral used to sit right up here on this hill. Sadie frowned. I read about that in school. Queen Victoria had a party there or something. A party or something? Bess grunted. It was the Grand Exhibition in 1851. Showcase of British imperial might, etc. They had good candied apples. You were there? I asked. Bess shrugged. The palace burned down in the 1930s, thanks to some stupid magicians. But that's another story. All that's left now are a few relics, like the stairs and the sphinxes. A stairway to nowhere... I said. Not nowhere, Best corrected. Tonight, it'll take us to St. Petersburg. Walt sat forward. His interest in the statues had apparently shaken him out of his gloom. But if the sphinxes aren't really Egyptian, he said, how can they open a portal? Best gave him a toothy grin. Depends on what you mean by really Egyptian, kid. Every great empire is a wannabe Egypt. Having Egyptian stuff around makes them feel important. That's why you've got new Egyptian artifacts in Rome, Paris, London, you name it. That obelisk in Washington? Don't mention that one, please, Sadie said. Anyway, Bess continued. Those are still Egyptian sphinxes. They were built to play up the connection between the British Empire in the Egyptian Empire. So yeah, they can channel magic. Especially if I'm driving. And now, he looked at Walt, it's probably time for you to get out. I was too surprised to say anything, but Walt stared at his lap as if he'd been expecting this. Hang on, Sadie said. Why can't Walt come with us? He's a magician, he can help. Bess's expression turned serious. Walt, you haven't told him? Told us what? Sadie demanded. Walt clutched his amulets as if there might be one that would help him avoid this conversation. It's nothing, really. It's just, I should help out at Brooklyn House. And Jazz thought, he faltered, probably realizing that he shouldn't have brought up her name. Yes? Sadie's tone was dangerously calm. How's Jazz doing? She's she's still in a coma, Walt said. 
Amos says she'll probably make it, but that's not what I... Good, Sadie said. Glad she'll get better. So you need to get back then. That's brilliant. Off you go. Anubis said we should hurry. Not very subtle, the way she threw out his name there. Walt looked like she'd kicked him in the chest. I knew Sadie wasn't being fair to him. From my conversation with Walt back at Brooklyn House, I knew he liked Sadie. Whatever was bothering him, it wasn't any kind of romantic thing with Jazz. On the other hand, if I tried to take his side, Sadie would just tell me to butt out. I might even make things worse between Sadie and him. It's not that I want to go back, he managed. But you can't go with us, Bess said firmly. I thought I heard concern in his voice, even pity. Go on, kid. It's fine. Walt finished, fished something out of his pocket. Sadie, about your birthday, you um, probably don't want any more presents. It's not a magic knife, but I made this for you. He poured a gold necklace into her hand. It had a small Egyptian symbol. That's the basketball hoop on Ra's head, I said. Walt and Sadie both frowned at me. And I realized I probably wasn't making the movement, the moment more magical for them. I mean, it's the symbol that surround Ra's sun crown, I said. A never-ending loop. The symbol of eternity, right? Sadie swallowed as if the magic potion was still bubbling in her stomach. Eternity? Well, shot me a look that clearly said, Please stop helping. Yeah, he said. Um, it's called Shen. I just thought, you know, you're looking for Ra and, and good things, important things, should be eternal. So maybe it'll bring you luck. I meant to give it to you this morning, but I kind of lost my nerve. Sadie stared, the talisman glittering, glittering in her palm. Well, I don't, I mean, thank you, but just remember, I didn't want to leave, he said. If you need help, I'll be there for you. He glanced at me and corrected himself. I mean, both of you, of course. But now, Beth said, you need to go. Happy birthday, Sadie, Walt said, and good luck. He got out of the car and trudged down the hill. We watched until he was just a tiny figure in the gloom. Then he vanished into the woods. Two farewell gifts, Sadie muttered, from two gorgeous guys. I hate my life. She latched the gold necklace around her throat and touched the Shen symbol. Bess gazed down at the trees where Walt had disappeared. Poor kid. One unusual, all right. It isn't fair. What do you mean? I asked. Why are you so anxious for Walt to leave? The dwarf rubbed his scraggly beard. Not my place to explain. Right now, we got work to do. The more time we give Menshikov to prepare his defenses, the harder this is going to get. I wasn't ready to drop it, but Bess stared at me stubbornly. 
and I knew I wasn't going to get any more answers from him. Nobody can look stubborn like a dwarf. So, Russia, I said, by driving up an empty staircase. Exactly. Best floor the accelerator. The Mercedes churned grass and mud and barreled up the stairs. I was sure we'd reach the top and get nothing but a broken axle, but at the last second, a portal of swirling sand opened in front of us. Our wheels left the ground, and the black limousine flew headlong into the vortex. We slammed into pavement on the other side, scattering a group of surprised teenagers. Sadie groaned and pried her head off the headrest. Can't we go anywhere gently? She asked. Bess hit the wipers and scraped the sand off our windshield. Outside it was dark and snowy. 18th century stone buildings lined a frozen river lit with street lamps. Beyond the river glowed more fairy tale buildings. Golden church domes, white palaces, and ornate mansions painted Easter egg green and blue. I might have believed we traveled back in time 300 years, except for the cars, the electric lights, and of course the teenager with body piercings, dyed hair, and black leather clothes screamed at us in Russian, pounding on the hood of the Mercedes because we'd almost run him over. They can see us? Russians, Beth said with a kind of grudging admiration. Very superstitious people. They tend to see magic for what it is. We'll have to be careful here. You've been here before? I asked. He gave me a duh look, then pointed to either side of the car. We'd landed between two, two stone sphinxes standing on the pedestals. They looked a lot like sphinxes I'd seen with crowned human heads on lion bodies, but I'd never seen sphinxes covered in snow. Are those authentic? I asked. Farthest North Egyptian artifact in the world, Beth said. Pillaged from thieves and brought up here to decorate Russia's new imperial city, St. Petersburg. Like I said, every new empire wants a piece of Egypt. The kids outside were still shouting and banging on the car. One smashed a bottle against our windshield. Um, Sadie said, should we move? Nah, Beth said. Russian kids always hang out by the sphinxes. Been doing it for hundreds of years. But it's like midnight here, I said, and it's snowing. Did I mention they're Russian? Beth said. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. He opened his door. Glacier cold wind swept into the Mercedes, but Beth stepped out wearing nothing but a Speedo. The kids backed up quickly. I couldn't blame them. Beth said something in Russian, then roared like a lion. The kids screamed and ran. Beth's form seemed to ripple. When he got back into the car, he was wearing a warm winter coat a fur-lined hat, and fuzzy mittens. See? He said. Superstitious. They know enough to run from a god. A small, hairy god in a speedo. Yes, Sadie said. So what do we do now? Bess pointed across the river at a glowing palace of white and gold stone. 
That's the hermitage. Hermits live there? Sadie asked. No, I said. I've heard of that place. It was the, the Tsar's palace. Now it's a museum. Best Egyptian collection in Russia. Dad took you there, I suppose, Sadie asked. I thought we were over the whole jealous about traveling the world with Dad thing, but every once in a while, it cropped up again. We never went. I try not to sound defensive. He got an invitation to speak there once, but he declined. Bess chuckled. <laughs> Your dad was smart. Russian magicians don't exactly welcome outsiders. They protect their territory fiercely. Sadie stared across the river. You mean the headquarters of the 18th gnome is inside the museum? Somewhere, Bess agreed. But it's hidden with magic, because I've never found the entrance. That part you're looking at is the Winter Palace, the old home of the Tsar. There's a whole complex of other mansions behind it. I've heard it would take 11 days just to see everything in all the hermitage collections. But unless we wake Ra, the world ends in four days, I said. Three days now, Sadie corrected, if it's after midnight. I winced. Thanks for the reminder. So take the abbreviated tour, Beth said. Start with the Egyptian section, ground floor, main museum. Aren't you coming with us? I asked. He can't, Kenny, Sadie guessed. Like Bass couldn't enter Desjardins' house in Paris? The magicians charm their headquarters against the gods. Isn't that right? Bess made an even uglier face. I'll walk you down the bridge, but I can't go any farther. If I cross the river Neva, too close to the hermitage, I'll set off all kinds of alarms. You'll have to sneak inside somehow. Breaking into a museum at night, Sadie muttered. We've had such good luck with that. And find the entrance to the 18th gnome and don't get captured alive. What do you mean? I asked. It's better to be captured dead? He looked at me, and his eyes were grim. Just trust me. You don't want to be Menshikov's prisoner. Bess snapped his fingers, and suddenly, we were wearing fleece parkas, ski pants, and winter boots. Come on, Malishi, he said. I'll walk you to the Dvorsky Bridge. The bridge was only a few hundred yards away, but it seemed further. March obviously wasn't springtime in St. Petersburg. The dark, the wind, and the snow made it feel more like January in Alaska. Personally, I would have preferred a sweltering day in the Egyptian desert. Even with the warm clothes Bess had summoned for us, my teeth couldn't stop chattering. Bess wasn't in a hurry. He kept slowing down and giving us the guided tour until I thought my nose would fall off from frostbite. He told us we were on Vasilisky Island, across the Neva River from the center of St. Petersburg. He pointed out the different church spires and monuments, and we got excited. He started slipping into Russian. You spent a lot of time here, I said. He walked in silence for a few paces. 
Most of that was long ago. It, it wasn't... He stopped so abruptly, I stumbled into him. He stared across the street at a big palace with canary-yellow walls and a green-gabled roof. Lit up in the night through a swirl of snow, it looked unreal, like one of those ghostly images in the first gnome's Hall of Ages. Prince Menshikov's palace, Bess muttered. His voice was full of loathing. I almost thought he was going to yell boo at the building, but he just gritted his teeth. Sadie looked at me for an explanation, but I wasn't a walking Wikipedia like she seemed to think. I knew stuff about Egypt, but Russia? Not so much. You mean Menshikov is in Vlad the Inhaler? I asked. He's a descendant. Bess curled his lip with distaste. He said a Russian word I was willing to bet was a pretty bad insult. Back in the 1700s, Prince Menshikov threw a party for Peter the Great, the Tsar who built this city. Peter loved dwarves. It was a lot like the Egyptians that way. He thought we were good luck, so he always kept some of us in his court. Anyway, Menshikov wanted to entertain the Tsar, so he thought it would be funny to stage a dwarf wedding. He forced them, he forced us to dress up, pretend to get married, dance around. All the big folk were laughing, jeering. His voice trailed off. Bess just grabbed the party like it was yesterday. Then I remembered that this weird little guy was a god. He'd been around for eons. Sadie put a hand on his shoulder. I'm sorry, Bess. Must have been awful. He scowled. Russian magicians. They love capturing gods, using us. I can still hear that wedding music and this eye laughing. How'd you get away? I asked. He glared at me. Obviously, I'd asked a bad question. Enough of this. Bess turned up his collar. We're wasting time. He forged ahead, but I got the feeling he wasn't really leaving Menshikov's palace behind. Suddenly, its cheery yellow walls and brightly lit windows looked sinister. Another hundred yards through the bitter wind, and we reached the bridge. On the other side, the winter palace shimmered. I'll take the Mercedes the long way around, Bess said. Down to the next bridge and circle south of the Hermitage. That's likely to alert the magicians that I'm here. Now I realize why he was so paranoid about setting off alarms. Magicians had snared him in St. Petersburg once before. I remember what he told us in the car. Don't get captured alive. How do we find you if we succeed? Sadie asked. When you succeed, Bess said. Think positive, girl, or the world ends. Right. Sadie shivered in her new parka. Positive. I'll meet you on the Nevsky Prospect, the main street with all the shops just south of the Hermitage. I'll be in the Chocolate Museum. The what now? I asked. Well, it's not really a museum or of a shop. Closed this time of night, but the owner always opens up for me.
They got chocolate everything. Chess sets, lions, Vladimir Lenin's head. The communist guy? I asked. Yes, Professor Brilliant, Beth said. The communist guy in chocolate. So let me get this straight, Sadie said. We break into a heavily guarded Russian national museum, find the magician's secret headquarters, find a dangerous scroll, and escape. Meanwhile, you will be eating chocolate. Beth nodded solemnly. It's a good plan. It might work. If something happens and I can't meet you at the chocolate museum, our exit point is the Egyptian bridge to the south of the Fontanka River. Just turn on the... Enough, Sadie said. You will meet us at the chocolate shop, and you will provide me with a takeaway bag. That is final. Now go. Bess gave her a lopsided smile. You're okay, girl. He trudged back towards the Mercedes. I looked across the half-frozen river to the Winter Palace. Somehow, London didn't seem as dreary or dangerous anymore. Are we in as much trouble as I think? I asked Sadie. More, she said. Let's go crash the Tsar's palace, shall we? 